0: Naji believes the Catholic Church holds and teaches the fullness of truth, and with his tremendous zeal and insight, he's able to communicate that raw truth without sugarcoating the teachings of the Catholic Church. He also believes that our job is not to change the truth, but to communicate it clearly and directly to others. And now, here's Naji.
1: welcome and good evening um, and what we're doing right now for those of you who are joining us uh, today for the first time is talking about a very important topic and that is uh, the topic of the Covenant. Uh, during our questions period there were, uh, there were many questions that came up and I'd like to touch upon a couple of them. I'd like to remind you because it may be something that you may, you may have forgotten or you may not know or you've never been taught but I'd like to remind you that um, horoscopes are a big no-no. You are not to pay any attention to them. If you do, it is a sin. Okay. Likewise, for you, for those of you who are of the Middle Eastern background, uh, reading the, the cups, of the coffee, is a no-no as well. Right. That can lead you into deeper and deeper attachment to um, the things of Satan. Now, last week we talked about curses and we addressed this issue head-on, where we asked, does God curse? And we saw numerous quotations from scripture that specifically show that, yeah, God does indeed curse, as He blesses. And we explained that cursing, in this instance, doesn't mean swearing, but it really means a form of malediction, it's an evil that God brings upon someone, and the purpose of that evil is for good, so that the person can actually repent and come back to God, or it is for the purpose of final judgment, where this person is actually damned to hell. And one, one more point we brought up is that even though our actions, our actions, may make us merit hell, we cannot. We cannot throw ourselves in hell no more than we can actually get to heaven, even if our actions, so to speak, merit heaven. It is God's judgment that has to take place for this to happen. He is the one who will get us to heaven. He is the one who will damn us to hell. It is very important that our freedom does not does not impinge upon God's sovereignty. And one more element that I'd like to add to this. Even though our own actions may merit us hell, remember, our faith is not me and Jesus. This is heretical. Our faith is not about me and Jesus. It's about us as a family and the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, even though by my own actions I may have merited hell through the intercession of the saints, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and my brothers and sisters who are praying for me, God may still, through his mercy, bring me to heaven. How do we know that? The case of the paralytic guy who was on a stretcher. Remember that's from Luke. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus is sitting in his house and it's packed. They can't get there. What do they do, the four of them? They climb up take off the roof, and they bring him down. And what does Luke say? Seeing their faith. Not the faith of the guy on the stretcher. Nothing is said of the faith of the guy on the stretcher. He may be wretched, he may be a great sinner, we don't know. All we know is that seeing their faith, he, to- he told him, not them, him, your sins are forgiven. Not them, Him. So through their merit and intercession, this man gained complete forgiveness of his sins. Therefore, if we were to say that by my actions, I merit hell, I in essence made myself, I put myself over and above God, his justice and his mercy. Be careful. All right? Now, tonight, what I would like to talk about is a related subject. We've seen how the covenant works. In the first two talks, we looked at how the covenant works in the Bible. We've seen it with Adam, then with Noah, then with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and it's the same covenant that brings us all the way through to Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about some of the aspects of the covenant, which are the blessings and the curses, and we focused mainly on the curses because it's a big deal. Don't worry, if it's not sitting well with you, we're going to come back and revisit this subject many times because I tell you right now, until this sits well with you, when you hit the book of Revelation, it won't make sense to you at all. Okay, The bowls and the cups and the wrath of God coming down, it will make no sense whatsoever if this covenant has not, doesn't sit well with you. Let me again remind you what a covenant is and uh, so that those of you who may not have been with us understand what I'm talking about. A covenant is an agreement between two parties and it has five aspects. Number one, it identifies the parties involved in that agreement. Number two, it it has a historical prologue where the deeds establishing the worthiness of the dominant party are recounted. A prologue where the deeds establishing the worthiness of the dominant party, the party who's gonna basically underwrite that covenant. We're saying why should we trust him basically. That's what this prologue is all about. Then the conditions are laid out. Rewards and punishments in regard to keeping the, the conditions are set and disposition is done and each party receives two copies. In the case of God, God need, doesn't need a copy, we get one. right? That's what the covenant is and we've been talking about it all along. Now after this point there is one simple, obvious question that may not have come to mind because it's so obvious that it's very easy for that question to evade us. And that question is, why? Why the covenant? Why this whole intricate process of blessing and curses and all that? Can't God do it in a more straightforward way? I mean, can we come up with a better model? Why this covenant? Why all the sacrifices? A covenant always requires sacrifice. There's always a sacrifice associated with a covenant. Always. And we see it most especially with Moses and with David and with Jesus. There's always a sacrifice associated with a covenant. Why all that? Now, I'm going to take you through the logic and if you are anything like previous folks who've heard me talk about this, the following may occur to you, and I'm telling you up front, so you know that I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm going to walk you through a certain logic, and you're going to go about saying yes, 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 and eventually you're going to look at me as if I set a trap for you. Because you might say yes to something you didn't agree with five minutes before. So I'm going to have to do it again. But I'm telling you right now, I have no intention of setting a trap to anyone. I'm not playing a game of chess with you, even though it might feel like that. Alright? So when you have that strange, funny feeling that you just said yes to something you didn't agree with five minutes before, remember what I just told you. Okay? I'm going to start with a very simple question. Very simple. First, I'm going to tell you what the covenant is for, and then we'll take it from there. The purpose of the covenant is to get us to heaven. Anyone has a problem with that statement? You know Jesus Christ, when he celebrated the Passover? Right? He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Right? Do this in remembrance of me. So the purpose of the covenant is to get us to heaven. So far so good? Okay. Alright, keep that in mind. Now let's just unravel this... Business a little bit. Who's in heaven? God, the angels, and the saints. So now, leave the saints aside for a second. And leave God aside for a second. Let's talk about the saints. Who are they? The church triumphant. triumphant. Very good. But what do we call them? Other than the church triumphant. Yes. What other other than saints? They're humans. Yes. Okay. The holy ones. All these expressions are true. There is one that is absolutely fundamental. Thank you. Children of God. Do you agree? I'm not saying just those who are in heaven are children of God. I'm not saying that. I'm right now focusing on them, but that's not the exclusion. It's not excluding us. I'm just talking about them for a second, right? Bear with me, but that's a good point. You agree with me, everybody, that the children of God, that the sons and daughters of God, yes? Yes? Yeah, yeah, adopted. Adopted. Adopted children of God. You're with me? Amen? I won. It's over. Game over. Now I just have to explain to you why. Alright. Let me ask you another question. We just all agreed that those who are in heaven, not just them, but those who are in heaven, are adopted children, sons and daughters of God. Right? Is this a metaphor? Okay. Let me explain first what a metaphor is. A metaphor is the application of a word or phrase to somebody or something that is not meant literally. But to make a comparison. For example, we may say that somebody is stuffed as nails. We do not mean that this person has now transmogrified himself into a box of nails. We use the nails as a metaphor to say something about his strength. That's a metaphor. So let me go back and answer the same question. When we say that those who are in heaven are sons and daughters of God, are we speaking metaphorically? You think we're speaking metaphorically? We're going along and we said yes, right? What this gentleman just showed is that it's not that obvious. Let's now take it one step slower and think about it more. I'm going to bring it down to earth. There's this God, there's this guy who has... A statue that looks just like him. He's got an adopted child that doesn't look like him at all. And he's got a donkey. Of these three, which one is his child? The adopted child, right? The statue looks just like him. Is it his child? No. Is the donkey his child? All right. What does he share with that child that he doesn't share with the statue of the donkey? Nature. His Human nature. Agreed? You're with me so far? It's human nature, right? That's why I can't call a dog my son. Even though there are people who do that, right? But fundamentally, the dog is not my son. Why? We don't have the same nature. Neither can I say that I am a son of a dog. Right? If I have a puppy, I can't say I'm his son. Why? We don't share the same nature. You're with me so far? Okay. Now, you've all agreed that we are the adopted children in heaven of God. And you've agreed, most of you, with one exception so far, that this is not a metaphor. It's true. So those folks up in heaven, if they are really the children of of God. What do they share with God? Ah. And what is the nature of God? Is it human? What is it? Divine. So what is their nature then? Divine. I'm just going to let this sink sink in for a second. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about the implication of what we just all agreed to with one exception so far. Those who are in heaven, and I'm not saying just those who are in heaven, but I'm making it, I'm making of speaking those who are in heaven because it's simpler to deal with right now, are, we're saying, truly children of God. Therefore, their nature has changed from human to divine. Okay? All right. Remember, I just said a very good point. Rich, but but I'm going to come back to that. This is central to this whole deal. But I just said only the humans, right? Not Christ. Christ is God, right? Okay. Let me go back to the guy with the donkey. He's got that donkey, and he loves that donkey. He really loves his donkey, and he wants the donkey to become human. Okay? In fact, he doesn't have one donkey. He's got two. He's got two donkeys. And he wants one of them to become human, he wants to turn one of them into a human being. And he's found that he's distilled that water where he's captured the DNA sequencing of a human being and that of a donkey and figured out a way of slowly modifying one into the other. I like science. It gives us all these slick terms that we can hide a lot of mystery under. It's a wonderful rug. Okay. And I'm speaking as a scientist. Okay. So, he's got two donkeys. One donkey is a wonderful donkey. He does everything the donkey is supposed to do. The other one is a kind of so-so donkey. But for whatever reason, he likes the so-so donkey, not the wonderful donkey. And he's got to turn the so-so donkey into a human being. Did he commit an injustice towards the other donkey? Does he owe the donkey to turn him into a human being? The donkey is happy to be a donkey. His life is that of a donkey. He's got everything a donkey wants. Hey, and he can be stubborn and do whatever he wants, and he can walk around and gaze and do whatever the donkey do. Right? He doesn't owe it to the donkey to turn him into a human being, even if the donkey is absolutely wonderful. Right? You with me so far? Furthermore, let's assume that that donkey is actually smart and can play the piano, and can actually prepare a bagel for you, and can get you the newspaper. He's an amazing donkey. Does that turn him into a human being? Does all of that give him the right to become a human being? No. It's up to the guy, isn't it? Right? Okay. No, no, I'm not saying you can do even like if a human can. I'm just saying he looks like a donkey. He's got the ears of the donkey and the tail and everything. But he's a very smart and wonderful donkey. He's the best donkey he can ever have. Even if he was the best donkey you can ever have, still, he doesn't have a claim to become a human. Right? Okay. Now, in Exodus, God told the Israelites that every firstborn... Every firstborn is his with two exceptions. So, whenever a a cow would give birth to a calf, that calf is his. A sheep gives birth to a sheep, that sheep is his. Right? Firstborn, first one, is his with two exceptions humans and donkeys. He told Moses, I don't want the donkeys. Either you buy them back, or you break their neck. That's how insistent he was on not wanting them back. He didn't want the donkeys, and he didn't want the humans. He put them together. Why? That's how we behave, like donkeys. That's what we are, donkeys. Stubborn, willful, thinking we know better. Donkeys, by the way, are very intelligent creatures. Don't think they're stupid. In fact, you ask engineers when they want to, you know, um, when they have to uh, uh, build a road in the mountain, they'll get a donkey and watch the donkey go. Whenever the donkey goes, that's the road. Smart. Those are smart. I mean, you know, you can almost award that donkey a degree or something. I don't know. But be it as it may, they're not stupid. all right. Be it as it may. My point to you is God doesn't Owe us to divinize us. No matter how wonderful we are, how beautiful we are, how great we are, how this we are, how that we are, He doesn't owe us. You see it? Correct. But God, once once God created us, in a sense, because of His justice, He owes us the necessities of life. That He does. He doesn't he doesn't owe us to change our nature from human to divine our nature is that of a human being he owes us to give us on earth a world where we can live guess what, he did that with Adam and Eve they blew it right but he doesn't owe us to take us to heaven even if we are wonderful and great and beautiful and all that good stuff you see it so far? you're with me? Are you starting to feel strange of you saying yes and not wanting to say yes? Mm. Good. Okay. Thank you. Very good point. Let's clarify something. I said he's going to divinize us. I didn't say he's going to turn us into a bunch of gods running around and doing stuff. We're still adopted, meaning that our nature has, will become those in heaven have a nature that is compatible with God. It has been divinized in the sense that it can accept the divinity, it can live off the divinity, it can see God the way He is, and can therefore be completely united to Him. But it doesn't mean that suddenly they are on their own and they can do what God. No, never. All right? Yes? Oh, he meant that when when a, an animal gives birth, that first animal that got born, that firstborn, should be offered to Him as a sacrifice well no no the the real reason is because actually the donkey is edible you can't eat the donkey Uh, but I would not recommend it but you can if you're really hungry that is but it is really for the purpose of teaching us something because we can look at the donkey we know the qualities and he's saying you see that, that look at yourself in the mirror that's what you look like that's what he was doing okay okay now as I asked you before, I said is it metaphorical? And it's not. Let me show you why. In Scripture, in Mark fourteen thirty six, Christ prays and says, Abba, Father. Abba. Abba, for those of you who understand this language, means dad, right? Father. I don't know what they repeat it in English. I've, I've not checked the translation. I don't know if he said twice Abba Abba, or he says Abba, and then it goes in the Greek. Be it as it may. All things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me, but not what I will, but what you will. That's how the word he uses is Abba. Alright? Now, Paul, Paul in Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? Same word used by Jesus. It's the word used by Paul there's nothing metaphorical about it furthermore what did the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray start with our Father our Father incidentally speaking about the our Father there are petitions in the our Father right count with me how many so we say our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name that's one thy kingdom come Two. They will be done, three, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, four. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, six, but deliver us from evil, seven. See the covenant? It's built in the prayer we address to our Father. It's a covenantal prayer. Alright, so the lead us not into temptation? Oftentimes you wonder, why would God want to even lead us into temptation? And James says, God tempt no one. But when you understand it in terms of the blessings and the curses of the covenant, it makes sense. So, So, now, I've told you that God's purpose for us, which is absolutely incredible, if you really start thinking about it, let it sink in, you are in awe. You stand in awe before God's plan for us. He's going to turn our nature from human into divine so that we may become His sons and daughters. How is He going to do that? The covenant. That's the purpose. Let me show you how. In the Maronite Liturgy, for those of you who are familiar with the Maronite Liturgy, right before the second elevation, the priest. Praise the following prayer, and I want you to listen carefully to the wording of the liturgy. So the liturgy is authoritative. In other words, if if something is part of the liturgy, it's absolutely true. Here's what the prayer says: You have united, O Lord, your divinity with our humanity, our humanity with your divinity, your life with our mortality our mortality with your life. You have given us what is yours. You have given us what is yours. And you have taken what is ours for the life and salvation of our souls. To you be glory forever. You have given us what is yours. What did he give us? What is his His divinity. What did He take? Our sinful, fallen human nature. That's what He gives us. Okay? So when Christ came, He had that plan, that crazy plan of love for us. I mean, I I tell you time and time again, the more you understand that stuff, the more you stand in awe and the more you tell God, I don't understand your love. It is truly a mystery. I can contemplate it. I can be lost in it. I cannot understand it. Why? Why would you love a donkey? I mean, you don't need a donkey. Why would you love a donkey so much that you're willing to come down and take the... the... I have a couple of words I'm thinking of here, but the, 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 the stuff that that donkey created, which is not good, and you give him his, your divinity in exchange. So he came and he had a plan, and here's the plan. First, our nature is vitiated. It is sick. We are born with original sin. Original sin means that we are, our soul is... In darkness. It is actually a slave of Satan. So every time a cute little baby is born, on a spiritual sense, you're looking at a monster. The soul of that baby, at that state, is under the control of the evil one. There's nothing nothing we can do about it. Because just as Christ's intent was to divinize us, the devil's intent is to demonize us take us in the other direction. That's what original sin starts to do in us. Not completely. Calvin and Luther will tell you that our nature after the fall is completely wretched. There's nothing good about it. That's not the teaching of the church. just says that it's sick. God, just as that guy, the donkey he's talking about, he wants to turn into a human being, he has an, you know, He's missing an eye and he's, he's kind of, he can't hear very well and, and, and he's got a couple of cells missing in his brain. So before he can take that donkey and turn him into a human being, he's got to turn him into a proper regular donkey first. He's got to bring him back to sort of degree zero, so to speak. Right? So Christ does a bunch of stuff in baptism. First, he does just that. He removes original sin. And if you notice in the baptism, baptism has a part of it which is an exorcism. Because we are telling the devil, go fish. This creature is now claimed to Jesus Christ. It's not yours anymore. By the power of his name, this creature is now under him. Belongs to his kingdom. That's the first thing he does. Then he infuses in the soul three virtues. Faith, hope and charity which are heavenly all three of which are heavenly faith hope and charity and to boot he makes the soul ready to meet god essentially he's done the whole work in baptism so that if somebody dies that that instant he can go to heaven that's what baptism does you understand it incorporates us into Christ, and that is part of His covenant. You know, baptism is one of the seven, seven sacraments. Right? Seven. Why seven? It's the covenant. Right? What does sacrament mean in Latin? Sacramentum. It means oath. It's the oath of Jesus Christ that He will make in us children of God. He will make of us children of God. That's his oath. Pardon? He does, that's that, exactly. He doesn't owe us that. He, that. That's exactly my point. Why would he do it? It blows your mind away if you sit down and meditate on it. It really, truly, not only why would he do it, why would he suffer the way he does? When we would not suffer the way he did. It blows your mind away if you really think about it. So that's the first one, right? Baptism. It incorporates us into the life of heaven. So now let me ask this question. Can 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 you be divinized without baptism? No. Even if you're the cutest little baby on the face of the earth, if you're not baptized, you don't go to heaven. Now, this is not a, one of those moments where you're going, yes, yes, and your mind you're going, no, no. Just... Let it play, and you will see how the covenant works. The church had this question put to her, do babies who die of abortion or die of other reasons go to heaven? And I think it's Pope Pope, Pope, Paul VI, although I'm not sure it's Paul VI, but one of the popes said, essentially, he left the question open, and he said, we don't know, but we will leave those children in the mercy of God. He just left it open. Why? Logically, he he essentially couldn't do anything. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but it makes sense to me logically. Why? Because the church is the embodiment of the covenant. The church works with the covenant. That's what God gave us to work with. So, therefore, the church has no jurisdiction outside of the covenant. But it doesn't mean that God can't work outside of the covenant. He can work in any way he wants. We can't limit God to what he gave us. Having said that, he paid with his blood for that covenant. So it's not, we can't think, oh, well, that means that, you know, probably there's 16,000 other ways English is going to save people. No. Right? You look at the consensus of the fathers of the church, all the saints and the doctors, all those who wrote about that subject, and you will see that without exception, not one of them says that children who die unbaptized go to heaven. Not one of them says that. St. Thomas says that they will live in a state of natural beatitude in a renewed earth meaning they will have the, the happiness of Adam and Eve when they were created. And then since they do not have in the desire for heaven, they will not feel the sadness of missing on something. But they will not be divinized. And that is why the evil of abortion is far greater than the evil of war. You understand why? They're not the same. You can't put them on the same plane. They're not. However horrible war is, and it is, most of the time you're dealing with adults who have had the chance to be baptized. In case of abortion, zero. The kid has no chance. All right, that's baptism. First step. Now I have a question for you. Well, if baptism is all I said it is, and it is because the church says so, why didn't God have in mind the following plan? You get baptized... Whack you die and go to heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you go home, right? Why didn't he do it this way? So bear with me. But think about that for a second. Why didn't he just do it this way? In fact, I know of one man who, although was a believer, waited till the very last moment of his life to be baptized. Pardon? He was on his deathbed. He got lucky. Okay? I do not not recommend it. Don't do it at home. Don't do it anywhere. Not recommended. On that subject, the church, that's what the church actually recommends that babies be baptized the first four weeks of their birth. Okay? Now, if you want to have a big party when grandma and grandpa and the great uncle and their cousins and all their friends show up from Two, in two years from now, have that party, but please, don't get the kid to pay for the party. Baptize him. Pardon? No. Once. But you can have multiple parties, hey? Yes. Ah, thank you. The good thief wasn't baptized. Um, this brings another important point. In... Uh, in, a, in in Vatican II, the Church explains that there are three ways in which we can be saved. The first one is baptism by water. The second two, although are called baptism, are not baptism as such, but have the same effect as baptism. First, baptism by desire, or baptism of desire. You're walking somewhere, you just read the Bible, you know it's the truth, you want to be baptized, you're in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia. There isn't a priest or another person to baptize you for miles and miles. By the way, you don't need a priest to be baptized. You don't need a Catholic, you don't need a believer. You don't need, you need, you, all you need is someone who will perform the rite of baptism as the right was set. That's all. And Christ does the rest. OK? But having said that, the church requires us to come and baptize the kid in the church, because it's family, it's family. So, baptism of desire and then baptism by blood. Where is where you generously give your life for someone else. It's called baptism by blood. So therefore, the good thief had the baptism of desire. Because he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And remember me doesn't mean just think about me. It means make me present. And that's what gained him the, the, the salvation. Yes. Wishing for baptism on our part doesn't make baptism real. Uh, one more thing I want to tell you. For those of you who may have had miscarriages and wondering about that, the, 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 case, the case of... Remember when I told you about blessing and curses for parents? That's one of them, right? You bless your children when you baptize them. That's your blessing, right? So, for, but, but, but in, in case you have, a, you have a miscarriage, if your intent, if your natural, normal, by default intent, you didn't even think about it, right? You didn't even say explicitly, I, if in case of a miscarriage, I want that baby to be baptized. You didn't say that, but you naturally expected to take the child and baptize them. then this child will fall onto that desire of yours. Okay? Because of the blessing of parents to children. You understand? No, no, no. An abortion is the same thing. When a woman perf- commits an abortion, she's actually cursed the child. That's what she did. Because there's no greater curse than to wish for your child to die. So it's a curse. So the evil of abortion is very great and it's less lesser only to one other evil. Contraception. That's the worst. I want to go back to... We talked about baptism. That's the initial seed that God plants in us. But His intent is greater than just making us children of God. In other words, He doesn't want us in heaven just as teeny weeny little babies. He wants to cover us with His blessing. So He wants us to grow in holiness. What is holiness? divinization. It's the same thing. When we say they're holy, that's what we mean. They're God-filled. The nature has so been completely transformed that he, they're completely God-filled. And what gives delight to the Father? What gives glory to God? When we say we're giving glory to God, what gives the greatest glory to parents? When they come home and one of the kids come to them and say, Dad, look what I did. I did this and that and the other. They start bragging in front of his brother and sister. Does this give, give glory to the father or the mother? No. That we have to come home and see one brother or one sister helping another brother or sister, there is unspeakable joy in our hearts. That what gives them the greatest joy. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. We're family. That's what gives God glory. you understand? So He wants us to grow and to want him, and to ask for him, and to love him on our own, because this gives him glory, and it glorifies us. And, he made that available for us. Because as we grow, we need sustenance. Right? You take that donkey, you turn it into a human, the donkey wants to chew hay, he's trying to chew hay, it's not working anymore. But he's sort of in an intermediate state, kind of half donkey to half human, right? And hay is not working. So what does his owner do. He figures a way of taking hay right, and changing the DNA sequencing of it I love that expression, I can make so many, many things with it and then he stuffs it with burger. Okay, uh, veggie burger. Is that better? Okay, alright? So the, to the donkey is still eating hay which is donkey food, but he's actually receiving human sustenance, which is helping the other side. You understand? Okay, so God devised food for our soul because divinization starts right here. I do not have it. It's going to happen here. It, is, it, full, it blooms in heaven. It takes its real shape, but it happens here. Okay, He devised food for us, which on the outside matches our humanity, and on the inside matches divinity. Not only did he devise a food, he could have chosen a whole variety of them. He picked the best. The absolute best. He picked himself. Why? Because in him, humanity and divinity are commingled. They are fused. They are joined. That's why none of that would have happened without the incarnation. That's why the incarnation is so necessary. And that's what He gives us. That's our daily bread. The body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. Body. Human body. Human blood. Soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's what we're receiving week after week after week, the Divine Physician is transforming us into something we can't even imagine as Saint Paul said. That's why he said it. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard what God has prepared for those who love it. We can't even imagine. Can you ask a donkey? Hey, your donkey, what do you think it's like to be a human? You know, driving a car, cruising along the beach, the donkey has not even words to express this stuff. Even if he wanted to say it, he couldn't. And that's why, by the way, God gave us faith, hope, and charity. Because, not only, not only because you know, he wants us to you know, suffer and go through all that stuff, it's just that our reason can't understand that stuff. The faculty, the, re- the faculty of reason can't even fathom what we're talking about. Just as the reason or the intelligence of the donkey can never understand, you know, credit card, drive through, you know. Go explain that to the donkey. Stand from the donkey and say, I'm mean, going to tell you what a drive through is. And come back and, and report on your results. Good luck. You can't even explain it, right? So the faculty of faith, hope, and charity are the heavenly faculties. It's through them that we live the divine side. Not only that, not only did he do that, he even made allowance for our weaknesses. Because just as the donkey, from time to time, donkey wants to just forget the tie and the suit and all that. I don't want to look like I'm just like a human and comb my hair. I'm just going to go run wild in the field. And he does it. His owner doesn't just, you know, throw him out. He made allowance for the donkey to come back, go through a... Uh, a, um, a room where he's kind of, you know, wh- wh- where he can say, all right, all right, okay, I, I didn't do it right. I, I just, okay, I'm going to continue. And he can be reinstated. He can be brought back into the family. And that's the sacrament of confession. That's what its purpose is. And all these sacraments are powered, are effective, are effective gets the efficiency from the promise, the word, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is making all this happen in us. He is. We are participating. We're not making it happen. And the best participation we can have is that of obedience. Okay? That's the process through which God is bringing us to heaven because he is mindful of our weakness and he wants us to say yes. You see, the first commandment he gave us, he gave to Adam, was when he put him in the garden. He put him in the garden, what did he tell him to do? All right, Adam, you're on your own, buddy. You can go surf. Just come back before midnight. Ah, that's all he said. He said, you're here to till and to guard. To till and to and to guard. And that command to Adam, he gives it to us today. We are here to till and to guard. And the garden is our soul, where Christ comes and walks and talks to us. That command was never taken away, because the Word of God will never be revoked. Okay, so now we've seen why the covenant. Now there's one more element we need to see. You see, divinization, holiness, Turning our nature into one compatible with God occurs on heaven. Yet it's a he- I'm sorry, occurs on earth, yet it is a heavenly thing. It's completely heavenly. So, God, in order for him to make that happen, has to find a way to combine heaven on earth. He's got to bring us in a place where heaven can't touch earth. And that place is his bride. That's where the baby is born. And his soul is incarnate, body and soul. Right? Become one and the baby is born. We're born into the church. We live in a church. We're baptized in a church. We grow in the church. We became, we're made holy in a church. What is the church then? Heaven on earth. That's what the church is. The church with her hierarchy, her structure, her physical structure, is heaven on earth sacramentally, mystically. We don't see it with the eyes. That's the. Re- but nonetheless, it is real. Just as if you show a donkey a pager, the donkey will look at this thing. He might try to eat it, right? And he doesn't see a pager. Nevertheless, the pager exists objectively. It exists. The same thing. That's the reality of the church and the church interestingly enough, is a mystery. How do we know that? The creed. What do we profess in the creed? The creed is about what we believe. We say the creed before we receive communion. We're saying, all these things I believe in. You remember the Jews? Everything God says we will do? That's our turn. The creed. Everything is in the creed I'm believing. That's what we say when we say. God is going to hold us accountable to this. And in that creed, what do we say? I believe in the Holy Spirit... The Lord, the giver of life, who, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the son, where the Father and the Son is worshipped and, and glorified. He has spoken to the prophets. I believe, I believe in one holy, Catholic apostolic church. I believe if the church was just an organization in need of a CIO and a CTO and a CEO and a CFO, and a COO, who wouldn't say I believe. would say I belong, I have membership in. If it was a purely human organization, there's no need to say I believe. It's not a mystery. But because we say I believe, dec- we are professing our faith into something we cannot fully understand. We can't fully understand the church. We must believe in the church. Christ, in Galatians, Paul says, speaking of the Jerusalem from above, the heavenly Jerusalem, coming down on earth, coming down, we're going to see in the Revelation big time, he says, for she is, the heavenly Jerusalem, she is our mother. She's our mother. That's what Paul says. Okay? So God is fathering children through the church, through this mother. Now, is God fathering children through the Lutheran church? Would you say that? If God is fathering children through multiple churches, which are multiple mothers, what would you call a man who fathers children through multiple women? You understand? God has one bride, one church. And it is that church which is the covenant incarnate. It is in that church, through this church, that you were born to eternal life. So now let me ask you a question. Is there salvation outside of the church? No. You see it? When the church says that, it isn't because the church is, you know, just a bunch of old men who wants to hold to power. And the church is compelled to say that because of the common. There's no other logical choice. We can't say it any other way. But let's qualify that. They must be qualified. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that all those who are physically member of the Catholic Church are guaranteed heaven. It doesn't mean that. Nor does it mean that those who are outside, who physically are outside the church today, will not go to heaven. It doesn't mean that either. What it means is that every person who is saved, every person who is saved, is saved through the Catholic Church, and if they belong to other churches, they are tr- they are saved in spite of their membership in those churches, not because of it. You understand? The the Second Vatican Council goes on to add that in other churches there are parts of the truth which is found there. There's graces found there which Christ, the head, not the body, the head communicates to the members. For what purpose? For the purpose of unity with his church. In other words, Christ is always drawing out, drawing to himself members, people from all different places to bring them into his church. Okay? So if you really now think about what I just told you, the question may come to mind why me? Why me? Why am I here? Why are you here? Why are you receiving the body and blood, soul and divinity of the Lord every week? Why? Why me, Lord? That is a great mystery. And if you meditate on it, it will teach us humility, a great sense of uh, thankfulness, awe, wonder, joy at this amazing utterly amazing thing God is doing in you and me. Who are no better donkeys than a bunch of people out there. Why, Lord? One more point. I, I said multiple times in the previous studies that once you start living, living covenantally, in other words, once the covenant stops be, being a pure intellectual thing and it starts regulating your life, you understand that I am bound by that covenant, meaning I owe obedience to the church. I have to live by the church, not because, oh, well, the church wants to put a straitjacket around me and prevent me from having fun. No, because this is where life is. This is where I will be fulfilled and I will reach a state of happiness I couldn't even imagine in the first place. That's why. Once you start living this way, once you start thinking this way, when the covenant imbues your life completely, you've become... What God wants you to be, and then you can ask whatever you want; He will grant you what you're asking for. Because that has always puzzled people. What does that mean? God says, "Ask whatever you want, and give it to you." Can I ask for a Lamborghini? And can I can ask for a Jaguar, and a, maybe you know what is that? Uh, the Hummer, right? I want a Hummer on top of that. And um, it's covenantal; it isn't right. The model is not, "I'm going to win the lottery." The model is, "This is my dad." This is my dad and the first thing I have to do is love him and show him that I love him and live in that relationship with him and then I'll be able to ask what I want because my mind will be like his. That's what it means. Now in closing, this is one of my pet peeves. You got some people out there, poor souls, who will say, oh, well, Mary is not important. She was just a vessel. If God... If God takes donkeys, not just donkeys, not regular, good, wholesome donkeys, no, sickly, stubborn, ill-tempered donkeys, and turn them into sons and daughters of God through His mercy, through His death and passion, through the sacraments, imagine... What he did when he started with a woman who did not have original sin. Right? So we were sort of at negative infinity. Right? She started right now by my statement at zero. Okay? Then he filled her with all the graces required so that she could receive him as a child. To be his mother, and truly his mother, meaning he has to owe her obedience, according to the commandment, honor your father and mother, he had to honor her. The Hebrew word actually is more powerful, it's glorify. Venerate. In order for him to be able to do that, she had to be worthy of this. So even before he came into her, He filled her with graces all the way to the top. Then he came in her and and abided in her for nine months. I did the calculation once. If you go to Mass every day and receive the Lord and assume that he's in you ten minutes, this is what the church says, it'll take you 110 years of receiving the communion before you exceed the time Jesus spent in her womb. 24 hours, 24-7 for nine months God is in her, in her flesh. And then, he just decides, you know what? I'm going to spend 30 years under her roof. She hasn't even reached heaven. Can you even fathom her dignity? Can you even imagine what it is like? And then he allows her to go through the pain of his cross and to join herself completely to his. And she's just a vessel in the declaration on the either the Immaculate Conception or the uh, Assumption I don't remember which one the Holy Father says that only God understand the level of glory to which he brought the Blessed Virgin Mary only him understands it no one else does and that's who he gave us as a mom that's who he gave us as a mother so if you're not wearing the the uh, Miraculous Medal, I do recommend that you get one, that you wear it, and you become very, very attached to Mary through the prayer of the Miraculous Medal. In the Miraculous Medal, I don't know if you, how many of you are aware of this, but when Our Lady appeared to St. Catherine Labouret, you know, light was shining through her, her fingers, but not through all her fingers. There was some light that was not coming through her fingers, and she explained that to St. Catherine is saying that she has so many graces she wants to give us. We're not asking. We're not asking. Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, when she'd be walking around looking for a house for her sisters, she'd find a house. And she would like it. And she'd say, oh, we need this house. And then people on her would say with Mother, uh, there are people living here, and besides, we can't afford it. Oh, no, 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 we need this house. And she would throw a miraculous medal. She'd get the house. She'd get the house. That's why I said earlier even though my sins may merit me hell, don't despair. Because there are a host, a host of heavenly beings around you who are praying for you, who are ardently desiring that you be in heaven, each and every one of you, who love you more than you can ever imagine. As one man went to Isaiah the prophet, and there were Isaiah and him, and there's a whole army in front of them. And Isaiah wasn't afraid. We're going to see that passage later. And he said, well, aren't you afraid? And he looked up and said, Lord, show him. And then suddenly, the whole host of heaven appeared around him. And Isaiah said, there are more for us than against us. they are more for us than against us. Remember that. And so tomorrow, when you go to Mass... Prepare yourself for that Mass. Prepare to receive that that um, plenary indulgence, which means that all the punishment due to sin are taken out. Now, there are some conditions that need to be fulfilled. One is that you really have to have complete and true contrition for your sins. Because you offended God, you're sorry that you offended Him, not you're afraid to go to hell. You have to have... um, Within a reasonably short period of time, usually one week before, one week after, you go to confession. And you have a good confession. You receive the Eucharist during Mass, praise for the intention of the Pope, and all in a spirit of total detachment from the attraction of sin. Which means that for whatever sin you have, you're making a willful decision that you would do the best you can not to do those sins again. Right? That's very important. And then you have to participate in a formal prayer service in honor of Mary, and the Mass tomorrow will be all Marian, I can tell you that. Or at least openly demonstrate their devotion to Mary by praying before an image of the Immaculate Conception on display for public veneration. The faithful should also recite the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and a prayer to Mary. So basically, go to Mass with that spirit of, of contrition, receive the Lord, then go to Confession, week before or after, and then stand before a statue or a picture of Our Lady, say to Our Father, say prayer, the Hail Mary, maybe the Creed, and then pray for the intention of the Holy Father. And please don't be stingy. Think about all those poor souls in purgatory who can't pray for themselves. You're, you're, you can ask for plenary indulgence, not just for yourself. We're family. Remember that. God bless you.